You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Well, we've each been a victim of it, uh, although we may not have realized it actually has a name. And the name is shrinkflation. Shrinkflation. And what that's referring to is you may have noticed if you've done any kind of shopping lately, uh, that products are not necessarily on some going up in price, but what's happening is the size and quantity of the products are getting smaller. And so here are a couple of examples. Kellogg cornflakes, the family size pack, has decreased over the past two years, 21%. So it's still called the family size box, but it's decreased almost a quarter of a percent. Uh, Dove soap, if you've looked closely at Dove soap, a bar of Dove soap used to be four ounces. It is now 3.17 ounces. And then finally, Ziploc quart size sandwich bags uh, still come in a box, but the box went from 54 bags down to 50. And so all of these subtle little changes without hopefully making the consumer aware that they are getting less for their money. Well, on the second Sunday of Advent, it is wise for us to look at the doctrine of Christ's incarnation and that it is not an example of shrinkflation. In other words, it's not that somehow God has just shrunk down to a more manageable size, but he's of less value or worth, but that in the incarnation, we have what many of the ancient creeds would testify to, we have the coming together of two complete natures without compromise, uh, without confusion, 
Uh, we have fully God and fully man. And so I'd encourage you, look with me at John chapter 1. And we're going to consider the prologue of John's gospel from two perspectives. The first is simply the certainty of the glory of Christ in the incarnation. The, the certainty of the glory of Christ. But then we'll also consider a second aspect woven throughout this prologue. And that is the concealed or hiddenness of the glory of Christ in the incarnation. Uh, and so let's begin with certainly the, the certainty of it. Um, often we kind of think of a prologue as more an introduction, but as some of you may know, you may often skip an introduction to a book because you're kind of thinking, I just want to get to the book. John's prologue is very important. Uh, not only is all scripture God breathed, uh, but he lays out for us central teaching that he will pick up throughout the rest of the Gospel of John. And it is very clear in the Gospel of John, if you were to go all the way to chapter 20, John's Gospel comes with a purpose statement. And so John tells us, everything you're going to read in this Gospel was written for this purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. So in other words, that we would believe what the incarnation teaches, that in Christ you have one who is fully God and fully man. But look at me at verses 1 through 3, where John immediately begins with the certainty of the glory of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And we're probably used to hearing those words, especially during Advent season. Uh, but we need to stop and step back and think of the significance of what this is saying about the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, John is reminding us of the preexistence of Christ. And as soon as you look at those first three words that begin this gospel, in the beginning, I think all of our thoughts say, I know where that phrase comes from. It's Genesis 1.1. Through the Bible, the Old Testament began with the story of creation. John's unique prologue begins not with Jesus's lineage, like in Matthew, um, and not with the account of the angels visiting Joseph and Mary, like in Luke, John says, I'm going to take you all the way back before creation. So you can see the certainty of the glory of Christ. And so it says in the beginning, and notice you have this reference to Jesus as the word. He is, he is the logos. He is the orderly discourse, um, the complete revelation of, of God to man. Uh, and we think today in our world, we have so many different ways to communicate. You know, we've got email, you've got texting, um, instant messaging, and FaceTiming. In a way, you can almost look at this and say, Jesus Christ is, is God's FaceTime to us. Like this is the picture of, of the glory of Christ. And so John speaks of his preexistence. Notice in verse Four, though, he goes on to reference in passing the divine attributes or characteristics and just mentions a few. We could look at many other places, but listen to verse four. He says, in him, referring to the word, was life 
And that life was the light of men. So he refers to the pre-existence and nature of Christ, saying, in him was life. Uh, there's a term that came later on and developed. It's not from the Bible, but systematic theologians use it. We speak of the aseity of God. In other words, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the only ones who have life in and of themselves. They don't just give life, but they are the very source of life. They're not contingent upon any other being to be brought into existence, for there always was and always will be. As our John references, in him was life. Not just he was living, he, he is life. And then notice the second phrase that he speaks of, he is the light of men. He, he is the source of all truth, knowledge, Paul's letter in Colossians will say, in Jesus Christ, we have the, the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. So what a glimpse into the, the certainty of the glory of Christ by just considering his pre-existence. But John builds on that pre-existence, and you notice a slight change when you get to verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There's a change in tense because in verse five now, he shifts to referencing the present glory of Christ. And so when he says there that, you know, the light shines in the darkness, that's a present continuous tense, reminding us that God's glory in Christ Jesus isn't just eternity past, but it's right here, right now, as well as a future consummated part to that. I wish the NIV had, had kind of chose a different way of translating the very end of that verse, because it says, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, we might equate with understand that they didn't like acknowledge it, didn't respond to it, uh, which is true. I mean, we're talking about the glory of Christ. Someone who doesn't know Christ does not see the glory of Christ. They see everything else about this time of year, uh, but they don't see the glory of Christ. And so really the end of that verse would have been better to put it this way, that the darkness has not overcome the light. Because that phrase understood literally means to, to overcome, uh, to, in a sense, take over. So you have this picture of this present glory of Christ that is evident, not just in John's day, but we can say even today, although it is not fully manifested, Christ is glorious. And so he's worthy of praise. Uh, as much as we might think that our world is facing unprecedented times of difficulty, of violence, everything else, think how much greater that sinfulness could be if God's present glory was not restraining sin. So humanity is sinful. Are they as sinful as they could be? No. Because God is, in his grace, still restraining the, the sinfulness. Well, we'll see it increase, but he is still restraining it. 
And so John begins this very important introduction to what he's going to unfold through the rest of this to say, in order to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you need to know the certainty of the glory of Christ. But then notice one final thought in verses 6 through 9. You have uh, the ministry of John the Baptist is mentioned here. And so as you look at John's ministry, he keeps emphasizing his role is to witness, to testify. That, that over and over again, we, we know there's times they're confu people are confused. You know, John, are, are you the one? John, are you Elijah? You know, who is the one to come? John it was very clear, John the Baptist, on his purpose. He was coming to testify or to bear witness. He was to verify that this one who would come is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we should be able to say the same thing with certainty. We're not just proclaiming sentimentally, um, you know, how cute it was to have a baby placed in a manger, you know, oh, that's amazing. But, but who was this one that was placed in a manger? He, he didn't just suddenly miraculous begin to exist at that moment in history. So the incarnation is not when Jesus came into existence. It is when, as fully God, he became what he had not been. In addition to being God, he became fully man, yet without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. We're thinking of the writer of Hebrews is seeking to encourage, strengthen the faith of, of wavering believers, those who maybe uh, mistook just being associated with believers as being an actual believer. So in Hebrews 1, uh, the letter begins by talking about who is Jesus Christ. And so on a very familiar note, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to reflect on the glory of Christ. And so beginning of verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. And so the writer of Hebrews picks up on some of the same things John mentions in his gospel. This one who was involved in creation involved in sustaining everything. And notice specifically the, the wording in verse 3. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation. Uh, that word representation is the word that we derive the term prototype. And so if you think of a prototype, a prototype is there's only one prototype. Everything else is built off that prototype. So there is only one Jesus Christ. And there's only one Father and one Spirit. And so we see here that the certainty of the glory of Christ is something that we need to remind ourselves of as we approach and find ourselves in the Advent season. But now return with me to John chapter 1. 
where we see beginning of verse 10, John moves now to talking about the, the concealed or hidden glory of Jesus Christ. And this is a very important aspect for us to understand when it comes to these two natures in one person. Uh, and now we're dealing with not a glory that is manifested, but one that is there, never lost, but yet is hidden. And so look at verses 10 and 11. Now he moves from talking about the ministry of John the Baptist back to the word mentioned in verses 1 and 2. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so quickly we think of Jesus's ministry here on earth. What, what characterized that? Well, he was given an unwelcome reception, that, that he was rejected by those who were familiar with the Old Testament. There's never been any question in first century Judaism that they were looking for the Messiah. The issue is they rejected Christ as being the Messiah. They didn't reject the concept of a Messiah or their desire, but as John lays out for us, notice the, the wording, they, they did not, the world that he created did not recognize him. Uh, and that word recognize there means they, they willfully rejected him. If I were to say to you, uh, someone ghosted you, you would probably know what I mean. That you, you know, you were in some kind of communication and then you just got the silent treatment. They, they don't respond to you, they don't acknowledge you, anything like that. Well, that's sort of a picture of what happens here to the one who created everything. He comes into our world to, to save us, and our response is thanks, but no thanks. Then notice also it says, his own did not receive him. And you can look at that very literally. He came as a Jewish savior, Messiah, and the people of Israel rejected him. And the rest of the New Testament would take us how that message would go out to Jew and Gentile. But what an interesting picture. Um, when, when I was a child, I used to have this weird dream when I was sick. It only happened when I was sick and only happened a couple times. But my dream was I'd wake up and I'd come down, and my family would not know who I was. They, they would treat me like a stranger, like they had no idea who I was. Magnify that with what Jesus is saying here. Here he came, and unwelcomed. And, and not just unwelcomed, but as we know the story goes, uh, they, they will seek to kill him, and they will eventually be successful in that. But remember what John had said earlier, the darkness cannot over and could not overtake him. So even though the crucifixion is a moment where it looks like darkness has won, that this Messiah has been defeated, it is only the beginning. Look at verses 14 and 15, again describing this hidden glory of Christ. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So at the same time we said there's an unwelcome reception of this Messiah, we can also say that there's an unquestionable acknowledgement of the glory of Christ. An unquestionable acknowledgement of the glory of Christ. And so in verse 14, again, you've heard this said before, the word dwelling there is the word tabernacled. He came and he tabernacled among us. Right away that speaks of Jesus Christ didn't just appear and, and just kind of show up for a few minutes and then disappear. And someone could maybe say, well, you know, I, I didn't realize he was here. Uh, you know, if he had only stayed longer, I could have, maybe I would have believed. You know, he came and he lived among us. And so as you think of the Old Testament, what was the significance of the tabernacle? What was called also the tent of meeting. It was where God met with the high priest, met, gave directions to his people. Where Jesus Christ comes, the exact representation of God to reveal the glory of God to us in the face of Jesus Christ. And John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. So there are those who by God's grace did see. And once the spirit is given more fully understood the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, when John says we, he could be referring to any of those believers who saw his miracles and teachings and put their faith in him. He possibly could be referring to that smaller inner circle uh, of himself, Peter and James, who witnessed the glory of Christ at the transfiguration of Christ. So both of those are possibilities. But notice the unique phrase he says, Jesus Christ the one and only. Now that phrase is translated begotten, the, the only begotten, only appears five times in the New Testament and only in John's letters. So there's a uniqueness here. It's not that there will be many little messiahs to come. There's only one messiah. And that messiah is the one and only, the unique son of God co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. And then look over there at verse 18. Verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. And so now once again, he goes back to, how is it possible for, for sinful man to know God? Well, only through Jesus Christ. And he uses a word at the end of that verse to, to make known is the word when you think of maybe a sermon and you say, oh, that was an exegetical sermon. But what you're hopefully saying is that sermon was based on a verse and it, it was explained clearly to me. Like I, I got it. Well, that's what Jesus Christ has done. He's come to earth and in a sense, exegeted God. He's, he's made God clearly explained to us in a sense in which we can never completely comprehend God, but we can have a saving knowledge and a growing knowledge of God in Christ. So if this is certain that John says, well, we, we knew him, we saw his glory, 
And I think we could say others in the New Testament who put their faith in Christ clearly grasped that he was not just a man, but he was God as well. How come more people aren't worshiping Christ? And that brings us back to the fact that in 2 Corinthians, it says the God of this world has blinded people to the gospel of the glory of God in Christ. So there we have a clear explanation. Why, why do so many people miss the significance of Christmas? I know in listening to uh, Tony and Jesse's podcast just recently, it, it was kind of referencing how, you know, look at this time of year, people are singing all different kinds of Christmas carols. And some of them are filled with doctrine. You, you'll have communities often gather volunteers together to sing like Handel's Messiah. I mean, you, you can't get anything more doctrinal than Handel's Messiah. And yet many will sing it just as a, a festive sort of song. You know, they, they enjoy the community. They enjoy lifting their voices together. But, but they're missing the glory of Christ. And we have an answer now. Why? Because the, the God of this world will blind people to that. They, they will miss that. They will catch the wrong emphasis. But by God's grace... John's prologue tells us we can experience the glory of Jesus Christ. And so notice verse 12 and 13. John, the Apostle John says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So he's moved from the, the certainty of God, God's glory in Christ to then the hiddenness of the glory of Christ in the incarnation to now say, you know what, by God's grace, you can experience that in your life. Because all those who have received and believed become now children of God. And I know for, for, for each of you here, that, that is a reality in your life that we must never lose sight of. You have been born of God. Not, not the spiritual birth in you is the result of you finding God, but in Christ, he has sought you out. He has initiated, he has revealed himself and given you the ability and the change of heart to respond effectively. So now you have a new position and standing. But then look at verse 16 and 17. He adds to that experiencing of the glory of Christ in your life and mine. He says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ. And there we have the perfect wedding and marriage of how the law and the grace work together. But he speaks of you've received now all of these blessings, all of these riches. So he moved from knowing who Christ is and getting that right, then results in the work of Christ and the glory of Christ being evident in our lives. Frederick Buechner, uh, 
passed away in August. He was a Presbyterian minister, uh, wrote a number of books. Um, but in, in a book on the incarnation and what we've been talking about, this mystery of the glory of Christ and the incarnation, uh, he makes this comment, which I think is one that should cause all of us to just think about what we just read here in John. Uh, Beekner writes this, uh, the creator of the universe came to us in diapers. Until we have taken this idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. I'll just read that again and just think of what he's saying. The creator of the universe came to us in diapers. Until we have taken this idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. In other words, like to be undone by this. Like how, how could that ever be? Why would he ever do that? Bickner says, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Let's make sure we don't shrink down the significance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how often we need to have doctrinal truth that we are familiar with. We need to be reminded of. We need to rehearse its significance. And so I pray that we would, with great joy, continue through the Advent season, keeping before us the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.